Praise the Lord. Hello and Happy New Year. It's so good to see you here in God's house today. We had such a wonderful Sunday school lesson, and I know early service, early service was good too. Well, something happened to my voice on the way up the steps. <laughs> that happens once in a while. But uh, we've had a good year, and uh, we ask if you read the Bible through this year to be sure and sign up out on the Oster at the Welcome Center. And then if you want to help join with us, we're, we're reading the Bible through in 2015. And you don't have to do that. That's not a requirement. We could just maybe make that a requirement for Stratford Heights. No, we won't do that. It's all volunteer. We just love God's Word. And we're kind of known as a church that reads the Bible through every year. So please, if you want to join with us, you've never done that, you can go ahead and start or just read wherever you want to. Read it every day is the main thing. It's rich and full of God's promises. So we're so glad that you're here this morning. And I know we're going to have a wonderful service. So uh, we're going to ask all of you if you would just look around at some one close to you and see if you see a new person. Introduce yourself before we get out and shake hands with the people close to you. And then you get out in the aisles. Greet one another and say, Happy New Year. God bless you. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. We serve a mighty, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. We serve a mighty God, mighty. We serve a mighty God. Oh yeah, we, we serve, serve a 
trials through the floods, Lord, I'll worship your holy Though it seems there's no hope in life, I will worship your holy We praise you, Lord. Give him praise right now. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. There is a river, the stream
And be glad. Would you do that right now? Rejoice in the Lord. Lord, we praise you. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Be rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say we rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. And be glad. Yes, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. There is a fountain. time people come into the altar and we agree with them and pray by faith we agree with their faith that God's going to perform miracles and he does it's so wonderful when we see the move and the power of God at work I want to tell you this morning I see a grandpa back there and I've got to I've got to tell you little Charlie we've been praying for her for two Sundays in a row against all odds they're dismissing her from the hospital this week against all odds Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Amen. That's not a little thing. That's not a little thing. The doctors have been working with her, and there's several different situations and times that were heartbreaking, weren't they, Lenny? But I'm telling you, God intervened in the situation, and that little two-year-old, like I said, against all odds, is getting dismissed this week. You know, she's got some challenges in front of her, but God has been with her, and he has touched her, and everything she was supposed to be doing, she has not done. Everything that was supposed to happen didn't happen, and everything that was not supposed to happen is happening. So God is working in her little life. 
I want you to continue to remember little Charlie. How many remember Charlie? Amen. We're praying for her. I want to continue to remember several other folks. Melinda Hall needs prayer today. We want to pray for her specifically every now and again. I, if I feel that there is something that we as a church need to pay attention to, and we need to come together on, if it's a serious situation, and this is that, I want you to pray with me for Melinda Hall. Also, Lonnie Helton has taken a turn, uh, not a positive one today, and we want to pray over him. He's, he's in the hospital. Pam Williams' mom is in the hospital having a procedure today. And so we want to pray for her as well. How many of you would say, I have an unspoken need. I didn't come forward, but I've got a need in my life, and I need that need. God knows I need that need to be met. We want to pray also, if it's all right with you, I've, I, get, I get brokenhearted by things when I hear about them, and I'm easily touched over situations. And there is a little seven-year-old girl named Sailor. Has anybody saw the news reports? That little girl has absolutely arrested my heart. As a church, we don't know her. We don't know her family. But what we do know is that there is a broken-hearted little girl, seven years old, in a plane crash the other day with her family and all of her family was killed. And that little girl raised up out of that plane crash barefoot, walked across terrain, found a home, knocked on a door. The man opened up the door, looked down at her covered in blood and she said, my mommy and daddy are dead. I want us to pray for her. I want us to believe God to comfort her, surround her. This is what the body is for. We're to bring healing and comfort, not just to headaches and even situations physical. We're to absolutely pray for one another. And my heart is broken for her, and I want us to pray as a congregation for these needs we've mentioned and for little sailor. Would you do that with me right now? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God we can come to. You're not a distant God who doesn't care, but Lord, you said cast all of our care on you. And Lord, we know that's because you love us. You said you would never leave us and nor forsake us. When everything around us crumbles, Lord, we know we can lean hard upon you. I pray now for these situations. I thank you, first of all, for Charlie. I thank you for the miracle that she is today. We give you honor and glory, and we thank you for what you have done in her life and in the lives of the family. We pray in the name of Jesus, your continued touch upon her life. I pray, God, that you will touch little uh, sailor Gutzler, that you'll touch her, this seven-year-old girl. God, we ask you right now to bring comfort and strength, surround her with strength from people that love her, let her feel the comforting power of love around her. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. I pray against every scar, every wound and hurt in her little mind, in her spirit, in her body. We pray healing over her from her head to her foot. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Touch Brother Lonnie Helton as we lift him up to you today. As a congregation, we pray that right now in the hospital where he's at in ICU, that you would touch him by your power. Let your work be accomplished. And we pray for Melinda. We lift her up to you, God, and ask for an emergency of prayer to come to her aid. We ask you to minister healing to her. Let her sense and feel your presence even in this very hour. We pray for Mary Beasley, God, that your work will be done in her physically as she's going 
through this procedure, we lift her up to you and ask for the healing power of Christ. And Lord, for every hand that was raised, for every circumstance represented in this house, for every son, for every daughter, for every mother and father, for every grandparent or Lord, friend or family member, we're praying for right now, all across this congregation, I pray for a mighty hand of God to show yourself powerful on their part. I pray that you will bring great victory to every need as we call upon you, not in the name of a church, not in the name of our religion, not in the name of our own faith, but in the name that is above every name, the name that is the healer, the name that is the deliverer, the provider, the one who is our supply. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone together agreed, and in united effort, we said amen together. Amen. God bless you. Please remain standing. Amen. As we continue to pray, let's pray for the nation of Israel today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come as a congregation, a unified body in agreement, God, that you will move and work and touch the nation of Israel. God, that you will go around every border, around every home, every heart and every life, and God, that you would be there to protect them and to bless them and to be their mighty champion today. Lord, let your hand rest upon that nation, God, as they're comforted, as they're given peace, as they're directed by you. We pray that you would take care of them today and for the rest of this year. Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I've asked Richard to do something that I normally do, and uh, I'm almost a little reluctant to even let him do. Uh, we have a brand new little girl who is part of our congregation we want to introduce to you, little Madalie Gay Birchwell, and she's coming up the aisle right now. This little lady was born uh, about, it's almost been two weeks ago now, and um, how long? Three weeks. Well, she, you're old. <laughs> She's precious, and right here, and I'm going to stand real close because I want to act like I'm doing it. I have been very ill the last couple days, and so I didn't want to have her uh, in any way affected by me. But we are glad to introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Madalie Birchwell. Would you welcome her to church today? Beautiful little girl. Jacob and Taylor, congratulations. And some grandparents in the building. We're excited for them as well. How many of you have gone through a little bit of the sickness here in the last couple of weeks? Oh, my goodness. Then I am not alone. Well, I've been fighting it and struggling with it. But um, God is with us, and God helps us get through those things. And, and um, I know it's just a challenging time for a lot of families and hospitals. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The Lord has blessed you and blessed us, you know, it's so right for us to come in today and be ready to give and to worship during this time in our service. You know, for years, reluctantly, a pastor, this pastor, doesn't always, you know, uh, put a lot of emphasis on uh, the offering time. Today, as you give, we're giving our loose offering, as you know, goes to world missions. Every dollar, every dime 
that you lay loose in the offering goes to missions. We do this every week, 8.30 and 10.40. We do this because we believe in practicing what we preach. If we preach here that we should be givers, then the church ought to be givers. And so we give in our offerings. So if you're here today and you're paying your tithe, then that's, that's the part that's helping your local body here today. And then your offering is helping those all around the world. So thank you for your gifts. Thank you for giving. A few years ago, I started praying something really crazy over our church. All the statistics say that about 25% of most congregations pay tithe. We've guessed ours to be somewhere close to 30% of our congregation that pays tithes. If we had indeed, and I just placed this out there for you to just think about this. If we had 100% tithers and givers in our church, we would have no lack of ministry, building. We would have no lack. We could do ministry all around the world, and, and we could take care of, of so much. The thing is, we still have, and God takes care of us to do all of those things. But what we don't have is we don't have a good 65 to 70% of our people who understand that principle and understand the blessing that comes with that. I'm not going to go into a long deep detail on this except that I am going to be teaching this year on giving and what it really represents because I personally have found in my own life long before I became a pastor, see I was one of you, I sat on the pew and I heard them talking up here. And I had the same thing, you know, go through my mind that so many others have said went through their mind. But it wasn't until I started putting it to the test and I really started testing God. The scripture that says you can't outgive him. I tested that. And I have found that it's true, Sister Margaret. I've found it's true. I've never, I've never found that I give more than he does. He blesses and abundantly meets every need. And I am so thankful that I have found that in my life. And as a pastor, because there's been so many, you know, people out there in shenanigans and so many ministries out there that have, through the years have just made a mockery. A lot of pastors, like me, have a tendency at times to play down this part of the service. But I've had the Lord really deal with me on that because he let me know. He says, hey, listen, why are you judging my principles, my teaching, my word? Why are you judging my word based on what others have done? He said, you base it on who I am. He said, and you teach my people that when they give, I give back, that they're a part of the kingdom economy, and they'll never have need when they give cheerfully as unto me and not to you. And boy, that right there, that really started blessing me and touching me, and it's opened up my heart and my mind to the fact that I need to let you know that you need to be a giver. You, and you want, you're in trouble. Because I am back this year in 2015 and I'm praying for 100% tithers. 
I'm praying that God will give us 100% givers, 100% tithers, people that will say, I went to a service one time, and Loran Livingston is one of my personal heroes. And in his service, I happened to be visiting in, in North Carolina, and I was at Charlotte, and I got to go by and, and visit the church. And I sat in the church, and as we were getting ready for the offering, he came up to the offering, and he said, well, and if you know him, I sounded just like him just then, it's time for our giving. I will ask you to worship the Lord. And he turns and walks off the stage. The ushers came down the aisle, stood in the middle, and all the people got out of their pews, walked all over the building, and started throwing their money in these plates. And I mean, the ushers, can I borrow that? The ushers were going like this. They were holding them like this, and they were going. And then they all walked to the front, and he came back to the front, to the pulpit, and he said, now, Lord, we give this to you in your name for your kingdom, and we give it hilariously. And when he did that, the place started cheering, clapping. Some were whistling. Others were dancing, and they got all excited. And I said to myself, I want that. I want that. I want that kind of jubilation. I want that kind of excitement when it comes to God. We're not there yet. Whenever I step up and go, our ushers are coming, some immediately go. But you know, I go back to what I've said all along. Don't worry about it. I'm the weirdest preacher you'll ever meet. Brother Orville, if you need to correct me, you've been a pastor longer than me. If you give grudgingly, or if you don't want to, then don't. Don't. Because I don't know that that's blessed. But if you're here today and you give to God and you trust God and you're giving because of his word and out of an obligation you feel to be obedient to him, then give. And that will be blessed. Amen? Let's bless. Oh, wait. You started to cheer. You started to clap. I thought I heard it. <laughs> I can't wait to call one of my friends and say, they clapped for the offering today. Awesome. Father, we do come to you. We come to you cheerfully. We'll even come to you hilariously. Because God, you continually answer our prayers. You always are there to meet our needs. Lord, your word declares over and over again, but my God shall supply and we thank you that according to your riches in heaven, you do bountifully supply. You bring blessing where there is no blessing and where there is no hope outside of you. You show up and you're awesome, Lord. I pray that you would bless our missionaries as we practice the very thing we teach. Lord, as we give to them all around the world, we pray your blessings over them. Touch them, minister to them. Let them sense and feel your presence and meet the very need they have and use us to do it. And I praise you and thank you for those who are faithful to their tithe. I pray this morning, Lord, for 100%, that, Lord, everyone in this house will understand and put you to the test because you've told them to. Lord, I pray that you will help all of us to receive that challenge this morning 
to do what we can do with what we've been given. Blessed we are, and Lord, we shall bless. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you. Beautiful music this morning. Beautiful song and wonderful truth. Amen. What would we do without the transformation? It changes us. Inside and out, upside down. Turns us around. Light that shines into our darkness. Transforms us and makes us into a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Oh, the blood that washes us white as snow. Amen? Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise this morning. And you know, you can be seated. That light, that light transforms us, changes us, makes us stand out in the crowd. Everywhere we go, the favor of the Lord goes before you. The light of the Lord walks where you walk. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you're making a difference where you are. That's what happens when you are all in. All in. Now, I want to take just a moment. I, I, I feel it's part of my service. It's part of the notes I have here. I want to recognize Coach Brian Bales. I want to thank him. You know why? Oh, he's not going to get up here and sing. I haven't heard him sing. He might do it pretty well. He's not going to come up here and preach because he'd have to get past me. But you know what? Brian is a servant of the Most High and living God. He coaches a group of boys at Franklin High School, the basketball team there. He's actually the athletic director for the school, but it has been his light that has made the difference. Those boys know he's a Christian. They know what he believes in. He's poured himself into them to where his own influence has poured off into them, and now they're witness, and they're a light everywhere they go. And I want to congratulate him and the Franklin basketball team. You are a coach, this coach. And you are a great man. And I admire you. I respect you. And you got a ministry like nobody else I know. You are blessed and we are proud of you. I'm just as proud of you as I am as somebody going down to visit at a nursing home or going over to a jail ministry or going to the food pantry. I'm just as proud that you walk in Franklin High School every day. And you pour yourself into those young men who you are making a difference in their life. And with that comes the favor of the Lord. They walked away. They were down at the Beach Ball Classic in Myrtle Beach. If you watched it on the news, if you know my Instagram or Facebook, you know I was watching it. They won all the way down. I think you're against 11 teams. Is that right? 11 teams got all the way down to the championship game and gave them the biggest run for their money. And I still think it was a ref that messed up on that last thing. But Brian, we're proud of the boys. We're proud of the players. We're proud of Evan Crow, who's on your team, who goes to our church. I don't know if Evan's here today, but I looked for him earlier. Proud, proud of that guy and, and you the Stratford Connection. But we want you to know we love you. We recognize what you do, and we're sure proud that you're part of our church family. God bless you. I want to shake your hand. I love you, man. Amen. Amen. 
Give honor where honor is due. That's a command of the Lord. I appreciate it when someone excels in that kind of way. And we ought to recognize that. We recognize everybody else for everything else. And in, this, in the community, it's right for us to... Part of what we want to be is an outreach. We can sit here and pat each other on the back all day long. But I appreciate it when we get outside the walls of the church and we're making a difference where we are. And that's, that is the guiding principle. The vision of what this message is all about today is us getting to the place where we truly check our motives for what we do and why we do it. Last Sunday, I got on this and I, I started sharing with you and, and I didn't even get to my notes. As we begin this great journey into a place, I believe, as a church we have never been before. I believe God is calling us into our greatest days in 100 years. Did you hear what I said? I want you to write it down because it's a quote. I want to be quoted on Twitter. Our greatest days in 100 years. We are officially, this is the first Sunday of 100 years. You are 100 years old and you don't look a day past 29. But you're 100. And there have been people that have laid the, the anchors in the faith. Folks that have torched away for us and lit away for us. Through the years, they have their testimony and their legacy and their heritage has, has brought us to where we are now. And it is our responsibility in this hour and in this day. There was something when those folks, when your grandparents, sister, she's awful quiet, but sister Locke, I want you to stand up this morning because these people just need to see who you are. I know you don't want to. It was her grandparents that had some folks meeting on a front porch over in Auburn Street, playing a guitar and quoting scriptures, coming together, trying to figure out what they were going to do to have a Bible study. And that, that was the very beginnings. This is the founders of this very church. They anchored something in the faith we ought to recognize. They anchored something in the faith that we ought to get back to that we ought to recognize and know what it is so that we can get back to what it is that builds a church. You see, the statistics tell us that churches close left and right. Churches that once popped up disappear. The stats tell us over and over again that most churches don't survive. Did you know, did you know that 5,000 pastors resign in a month as an average? Did you know that close to 70-some percent of churches never make it past 10 years? What is it about the Clayton Street, Harlan Park, Stratford Heights Church of God that anchored itself in 1915 and anchored itself so strongly, it wasn't its preacher's although they had some good preachers. It wasn't their singers, although they had some really great singers. It wasn't their programs. We have to look back in our own lives to what it was that anchored this church through the Depression, through world wars, 
through city floods, through economic crashes and crises and tragedies? What was it that kept this church anchored through every storm, through every trial? In 1988, when this church went through a devastating division and split and nearly broke in two, I'll never forget the words of one man who looked at me and said, they'll close the doors in six months. Well, if it's built on you or me, maybe. But here we are 30-some years later, and the church is going strong. The power of the church is not in a preacher. It's not in a council. It's not in a congregation. It's not in a denomination. The power, the power of a church is found in being solidly anchored to the rock Christ Jesus, built on that rock of truth that the Bible says even the very gates of hell will never prevail against it. I want to know that this church in 2015, on its 100th birthday, has not forgotten where it came from. Has not forgotten the anchors of the faith that keep it strong and keep it anchored to Christ. I want, that's what this 21 days is all about, calling our church to a, a public fast. It's so that we will shake ourselves Ask ourselves, what is the motive? What's the agenda in our lives as a Christian and as a church? What is it that God's speaking to us? Where is he taking us? How are we going to get there? All throughout Scripture, we see it very true. Anytime God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves. Read it for yourself. All throughout Scripture, it was actually when the Israelites were ready to cross the Jordan River and conquer the Promised Land, they were told, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I've had the Lord. I don't say things lightly. I've been here eight years as your pastor, another 18 behind that as your youth minister. You've known me a long time. I ain't going to get up here and, and shoot off cliches and give you stuff that don't matter. I'm going to tell you what the Lord has spoken to me. The Lord has said if this church, this church that I called out of the rubbles of the floods and the fires and the tragedies and the crisis, the, the one that I called to be able to sustain itself through troubles and fights and, and situations in its past, that church that I have called to greatness, the Lord spoke to me and said, if that church will consecrate themselves in this last hour. I will do amazing, wonderful things among them. I've had the Lord to pour that out in my spirit. And what the Lord's told me, and I wrote it down in my Bible, he said, you've got to go back in order to go forward. Got to go back in order to go forward. What's that mean? That means we've got to get back to the basics of understanding who it is that builds the church. It is not a denomination, it's not a program, and it sure ain't no preacher. It is the power that is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. The blood that we sang about, the sacrifice, Christ, 
Christ alone. On Christ alone we stand. And on Christ alone you will conquer. And we will do greater things than we have ever seen or done before. I want our people, and as pastor, I worry. I want our people to be all in. I want us to be all in, whether that's through what I mentioned earlier, through stewardship or ministry. But also, Brian, I want us to be completely centered on what you're doing. I want that to spread like a fire. I want us to be community outreach centered. I want our face to change. We've talked about it for a long time. And we have some real beautiful, we have some real nice outreach ministries. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about getting out there and becoming exactly what Paul said, that I will become all things to all people that I might win some. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you'll do, what outreach ministries we will provide and we will dream up. I've got some people that are talking with me about that right now and we're gonna be approaching you about being a part of that. I'm believing the outreach ministry, which the Lord has given me a name for it. And you can laugh at me if you want to, but I like it. And since I'm pastor, I ain't taking a vote. Our new outreach ministry in our 100-year anniversary is going to be called, Rick Wiley, the Clayton Street Mission. I want the Clayton Street Mission to come alive and to be something that takes us back to where we came from in order to move us forward to where God's going to take us. And I'm believing it's going to be a love, the city of Middletown. I'm believing it's going to be something that is going to tear people up because they are going to see that we mean business, that we're not out to promote ourselves. We're not out to promote any kind of programming or church. We're out to promote Jesus Christ and to make a difference. I want to see the lost come to Christ, and I don't want them to just barely make it in. I don't want to, you know, twist their arm. I want them to want to come to Christ. I want them to be excited about it. I want to ask you right now, will you help me? I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. You see, too many churches, and I wrote this down, allow thousands to buy in. They allow thousands Community churches and communities all over the world right now. It's huge. It's popular. Preachers allow thousands of people to buy in without selling out. That's why I'm approaching you about motive, agenda, heart. What is our motives? for being a church in Middletown. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored. When people can sit in a service and, uh -huh, we've given them just enough Jesus to be bored. 
I have found that when I get in the presence of the Lord, it is anything but boring. I have found that when I step in to my prayer closet and I get alone with the Lord and I begin to allow his spirit to speak to my heart and I get in his presence, I have found it is anything but boring or stagnant. It's exciting. It's still exciting for me. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with him. I don't know what kind of growth you've had. But you better hold on to your hat because we're challenging this church to test him, but to by faith move into a place you've never been, into a relationship with him that is authentic and real, and that you experience the supernatural in Christ like you've never seen before. I want little girls like Charlie to be the very first of a year full of miracles. I want God to do something with us and I'm ready for him to shake the foundation if necessary. Amen? As you stand with me, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1. I read this to you last Sunday, but I didn't preach on it. I'm going to do my best in the 20 minutes that I have to bring part one. Isaiah was talking to the church. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the people who seemingly were doing all the right things. You see, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, before I read that, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's got to be acceptable. And what I'm praying for is that as a church, we, our offering of praise, our offering of preaching, teaching, ministry, prayer, that it all be acceptable to the Lord. That's my number one prayer in this fast. Isaiah was told Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice, Isaiah, like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. What? Yet, God says, they seek me daily. Huh? They delight to know my ways. They sound like really good people. As they delight to know my ways, they seek me daily like a nation that does righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. They even say, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and, Lord, you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and you exploit all your laborers. We have to be careful about our motives, don't we? Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I've chosen 
a day, God says, for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? God answers back resoundingly with this text, no, it's not. He says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, that when you see the naked, you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Hallelujah. Your healing shall bring forth speedily, shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. He'll be all around you. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall shine, shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. What else? Well, the Lord will guide you continually. Satisfy your soul in drought. Strengthen your bones. And I love this. I've titled the message this. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. That's our cry. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Lord, I cannot. It's impossible for me to fully expose in myself, reveal to these folks what you're saying through the scripture. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that you will speak through me now as I step out of the way and let your words be heard. I pray in the name of Jesus in the next few moments that God, you will help us to discern what is that acceptable fast, what is that acceptable worship, what that, what that is acceptable acceptable praise sacrifices because only in this is our life satisfied in Jesus name amen let me see it very first thing we need to cover and I'm going to try to stick real close to my notes because I've already in my second week and I'm trying to get this done I want to get this accomplished I will be speaking this Sunday and next Sunday on this subject so I've got 25 pages here I got to get through. So let's see how fast I can do that. The very first thing that we need to cover concerning a church-wide fast is our motive, our agenda, being authentic before God. The scriptures, you'll find all throughout scripture, the Lord has to spend a lot of time separating the goats from the sheep, holiness from hypocrisy, the authentic from the counterfeit. Obviously, from the many examples we have throughout the word, that it's easy and we got to be careful that we don't get caught up in that religious spirit you hear me teach about. I mention it often. I, I know I do. 
I mentioned it last week. I'm going to probably keep doing it till Jesus comes because I have found in my work as a pastor that the number one thing I fight is a religious spirit that is always attacking the work of the Lord. And when that is attacked and when that is rebuked and when that chain is broken, that stronghold over a church is broken, a unity comes barreling in like a flood. And the work that is accomplished and done resembles that that we read about in Genesis chapter 11. For it's in Genesis chapter 11, one of my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, even though it doesn't talk about a positive thing. Not exactly. It talks about the time when the people of Israel were literally building a tower to the Lord, the Tower of Babel, you remember. And the scripture there in Genesis 11 says that God looked down upon the people, saw them and said, because this people is one. The word one means unified, bonded together as one. Because this people is one, now nothing that they choose to do, imagine to do, will be withheld from them. That's a law. That was a law. That was him giving us a principle that if we'll just get it down in our hearts, even though it seems like that is the very thing that is always attacking the church, is that unity. Not just ours, I'm talking about the church at large. Unity, always dividing, division. It's always brother against brother, sister against brother. It's always happening, always. You can walk out sometimes in a lobby or you can walk into a meeting and you can just see division, division, division. I pray over it. I fight it. I try to smell it. If I even think something's being divisive, I'll come out there and start sniffing. I'll be like, there's unity in this bunch, right? We unified. We bonded, we bros. I'm always looking for it. I prayerfully consider it. I'm pastor, I'm supposed to look out. I'm not supposed to just constantly go around putting out fires and reacting all the time. I'm supposed to be praying ahead and looking to see if there's any wolves coming down the pike. I take seriously what I do as a pastor, and I want to protect our young people. So I, I care about what they're taught in schools. I, I care about that. I care about what they're taught in our youth ministry. I care about their relationships with one another. I watch them to see that they're not getting tangled up in things in the world. I, I go on their Facebook sometimes and their Instagram sometimes. Yep, I do. And I look to see what's happening in your world. And sometimes I don't like what's happening in your world. And usually, you'll hear from me if Cameron don't get there first. We're always looking out for one another. And as a, as a pastor in this fast, I'm calling us to this public corporate fast. And I'm looking down the road and I'm saying, come on. We've got to be sincere in our motives. We've got to be sincere in our objectives and our agenda. Don't start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't start thinking of yourself more spiritual than others. Don't start getting into this ideology that you got something on somebody else because of whatever gift or talent God has given you. It's time for us to not let the things like pride and arrogance and conceit attack the body of Christ. We must stay in that humble, broken place where God can speak to us. And as I said last Sunday, position us for the blessing, 
for him to be able to speak to us. And it comes through being authentic. Isaiah was told to cry aloud. God didn't want him to just send him a memo. God didn't even want him to go in there and just, well, I, I know you mean well. Your intentions are good. Gosh, golly, I, I know you're doing your best. God didn't do that. God said, Isaiah, cry aloud. Warn the people of their transgression. Wow, really? Isaiah was told to warn them of their error because they had gotten into a mode of doing instead of being. They had gotten into a mode where they were more concerned with what they were doing to try to get God's attention than they were God getting their attention and changing their life. You see, a lot of people get hurt, and I run into a lot of folks that through the years have come through Clayton Street or Harlem Park or Stratford Heights and at one time or another have been hurt by people. And I'm always saddened when I run into those people and I, I try to bring healing to that. I always try to fix it. I'm not one of those. I'll never sit down with you and be like, no, no, they didn't. Did that? Are you kidding me? They did what? I don't ever do that. I've always tried to spend my life fixing it. I want to make it better. I want to think the best of people, and I want to do my best to bring a healing balm of Gilead to the situations. We've got people that have been hurt through the years, and I want to tell you why they get hurt, because this is where I talk to the church. And you might run me out after this. I, I might not be allowed to come back tonight. But part of why they get hurt is because we have too many replicas and not as many original pieces as we used to. Now, what do I mean by that? I explained this in the 830 service last Sunday. I didn't get to it in this one. You know, in my home, if you walk in my house, right in there in my foyer, I've got a beautifully framed photo of the Mona Lisa. You know the Mona Lisa, if you're cultured in any way. The famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. Well, it just so happens, you know, one of my nieces was over and she was looking and she was like, what's that? And I was like, that is the Mona Lisa. The who? For sure she didn't get a boyfriend. <laughs> and I'm like, you do not know what that is. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, do you know where I bought that? No. I said, I was in the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. I walked in. Let me take you back to that day. I walked into the room. Nicole Chapman was one of my young people with me, and there was about five or six others with me, but there was 100 people in the room. And we walked into this chamber, and there it was. At the end of this room, encased in glass, one painting, the Mona Lisa. And I walked up to it, and everyone was silent. A few pictures were being taken. And I walked up, and Nicole was standing next to me. And I said, Nicole, I'm going to do it. She said, no, no, Ray, don't. Don't do it. I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And right there in that echoing hall, I stood in front of the Mona Lisa, and I said, 
Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have made you. I did. A hundred people started laughing, clapping, cheering. And of course, one French lady over in the corner was like, shh. But I told my niece, I said, I bought that in the gift store at the Louvre Museum where the original Mona Lisa hangs. And I was there. I saw it and I bought this to remember that moment. And she was like, oh. Well, and then she goes, well, I want one. And I was like, oh, so now it's got a little credit. So I began to think about that. I thought that sometimes parallels exactly what I don't want to see and what God didn't want to see. That sometimes we look an awful lot like the original. Sometimes we're pretty close. But we're not the masterpiece. We're a replica. And I don't know anywhere in the word where Jesus called us to be replicas. Because a replica is an imposter. It's a fake. It's not real. He calls us to be a masterpiece. He calls us into a relationship with him that transforms us and literally changes us so that we become new. Which means that we're not the same wherever we go. We light up a room. We make a difference. We, we talk to people and people are, are drawn to our words. Not because of you, but because of who's in you. Has nothing to do with you. As a matter of fact, the moment you start thinking it's your special gift, that's when you start diminishing and fading to nothing. But when you allow the transformation of Christ, you position yourself to allow him to make you a masterpiece of his glory and his justice, then you become, the Bible says, joint heir. Well, hallelujah. Lord, I want to be a joint heir. I want to be part of the family. I want to be authentic. I want to be real. Being real means we check our motives. We check our reasons. We, we don't have just enough. To, that, that picture hanging in my, my foyer is pretty. and I got a nice frame for it because of where it came from. I wanted it to be nice and but anybody who walks in, looks at it, especially Kaylee, has no idea what it is outside, outside of where it belongs. There in that museum, locked away behind glass, it's given credibility. It's given its infamous, infamous Legacy. You and I 
having come through the cross of Calvary. Not a replica, not, not just a gift shop, not just a, a church where you purchased your salvation through an offering or through a tithe envelope or through your attendance, but I'm talking about a real trip to the cross where we genuinely lay down our lives at his feet and we say, Lord, we will not just follow you, but we desire that you will absolutely live in us, be us, change us, transform us. Some people, they have just enough of Jesus to be miserable. I've seen these people, they're miserable at church. They're miserable when a preacher starts preaching. They can't wait until it's excuse me, over. They can't wait until it's all done. I've done my duty. Why? Because I'm afraid to go to hell. They've got just enough of Jesus to be miserable, or they're just, they got just enough of themselves that they can't get free enough to see him. They've got just enough of Jesus to be absolutely miserable, but not enough to be transformed. I'm talking about working your way into a relationship with Christ to where you can't even consider. I said it earlier. How, how can anyone be bored in the presence of God? That's a test of authenticity. It's a test. How can we feel stagnant and frozen and have no life in us and claim that we have found Jesus Christ real? You see, people are disillusioned and deceived and hurt in the community, in the world around us, in your family, because you claim that you've got the goods, you claim that you've got the right relationship, you claim that you've got it all going on, but your lifestyle is nothing more than a replica of somebody who looks an awful lot like the Mona Lisa. But you're not the real deal. There's a whole lot of people misrepresenting Christ in our community, in our churches sometimes. They misrepresent in every way, and so that disillusions a world looking for an answer. They see the Jesus in you, and you've heard me say this before, they see the Jesus in you and they say, no thanks. I don't want the Jesus in you. The Jesus in you that rips and tears and divides and angry and bitter. The Jesus in you that is selfish. The Jesus in you that is conceited and arrogant and prideful. The Jesus in you that is just a form of religion, of godliness, but no power? I believe in answered prayers. I believe in power that changes lives. I'm not who I used to be. And I may not be yet what I need to be. But I thank God He's making me. All along the way, we strive 
more and more to be authentic. Somebody said this the other day on an Instagram, I think. They said, they were advertising their church, and, and, and it, it, was mean, it wasn't meant to be in any way negative. It was just a, a phrase. They, they wanted to show how cool their church was. So they said, in, in a little hashtag down at the bottom, they said, not your grandma's church. And you know when I read that, it hurt my heart. Because my first thought was, wow, your, your grandma must not have had the goods. Grandma's church must have been boring. Grandma's church must not have had any life in it. Maybe grandma was one of them gossipers and hypocrites. I didn't think anything positive about her grandma. I certainly didn't think anything cool about their church. I just thought, wow, poor grandma. Because all I know is this. My great-grandmother was Frances Duncan. That woman, she loved the Lord. I remember when I was a little kid sitting at her knee, she'd be praying in the Holy Ghost right there in the living room. She lived with us when we were young. and She was a beautiful woman of God, and I used to love to watch her worship. And that little hand, she had Parkinson's, so her little hand would go up, and she'd wave it like that, and she'd pray. And I used to think, ooh, I want what Grandma has. And I'd go to church, and we'd, when I grew up, you know, I grew up, we sang the old songs, and, and they'd sing Amazing Grace. And, I'd hear them sing Amazing Grace, and, and it would just thrill me. It would touch me. I, I would go, man, I would feel the presence and the power of God. The Holy Ghost was there, and Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, was pretty sweet to me back then. It changed me and touched me and challenged me. I'll never forget when the choir would rise up and sing, Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else would help, love lifted me. And as a young 10-year-old, I was sitting there going, Woo, boy, that feels good. I feel that. Do you feel that? What is that? The Spirit of the Lord here in this house. Somebody get up and sing, When he reached down his hand for me. And I, Woo, that feels good. I want what they got. I want that. You know, and as I got older, you know, I, I fell into Hillsong and I fell into more contemporary and modern music, but that wasn't it because it wasn't too long ago that I heard us singing Amazing Grace right here. And you know what? It sounded just like it did back in Grandma's day. It felt, I felt the same spirit just then. So here's what I got to tell you. If the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost and fire is there, Grandma's church is pretty cool. It was probably built on the rock, Christ Jesus. And that's the church that I want. And if we ever get too cool for Grandma, if we ever get too cool for what we know is built on Jesus, if it ever gets to the place where we can't experience the presence of a holy God in his house on a Sunday morning, I'm going back to Grandma's church. Mm. That was good preaching if you liked it or didn't. Because it's not about those things. And like I said, I know what they meant. They meant well. But I don't ever want to get lost. And don't you ever get so caught up in your guitars, which I love. Don't ever get caught up in all the lights and all that stuff so bad that you forget 
that has nothing to do with that. They haven't come into an enlightened age where they're singing better than they did 50 years ago. They either anointed now like they were then. And if they were anointed now like they were then, it would change lives. And people would find Christ. And they'd find ministry. And they'd be missionaries all over the world. It was the same then as it is now. So respect where you've come from. Embrace where you are. Methods need to change as we grow and get closer to the coming of the Lord. And we get new lights. I like the lights. I like that. But it doesn't ma- that doesn't matter. What matters is, is there still anointing behind the preaching of the word? Is there still an anointing behind a song? Is a class on Sunday still anointed and packed out as people are worshiping and praising God and learning his word? These are the things that build a church. Don't ever forget that. It's not about the programming. It's not about the, the principles of today. It's not about the music of today or the preachers of today. It is about the power and the presence of a long ago Savior who gave his life for you and me. That's what makes the difference, and that is what builds a church. So as we go into this fast, my cry, my challenge to all of us is that we will be authentic and it will be acceptable before the Lord. And if it is acceptable, it transforms us into servants. And that is part two. Stand with me this morning. The agenda of Jesus. The agenda of Jesus. I'll say it again. The agenda of Jesus. That's what we want. It's Jesus or bust. It's acceptable to him or it's unacceptable to us. We want nothing less Nothing less than his pleasure over our sacrifice. And it's obvious through these words in Isaiah, and then I'll preach next Sunday on the words of Christ in Luke and in Matthew. And in John chapter 7, I'll preach about how when our motives are right, what it looks like who we become, and what we do. The buzzword for the week is get your WWJD bracelet back out. I know Walmart made it common and everybody made it a fad and it faded away, but the truth of WWJD will live forever. What would Jesus do? Hmm. For I am the Lord, and I fail not. Do not look to your own strength, your own ways, your own understanding. Look deeply into my word as you launch into this experience with me. I shall be just that. Know that I am here to provide strength. I will lead you. 
I will guide you. I have called you, and I will provide the way. Trust and lean upon me every step, and know that when you have come through, you shall rejoice, my people. You will rejoice and be glad. I am your Lord. I am your Savior and your God. I do not fail. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask two things. I'm going to ask you to get ready in just a moment to step forward into the altar, everyone who can. But I'm going to ask you before we move into the altar, I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, talk about right motives, right agendas, preacher. I don't even have him as a Savior. I don't even know him as my Lord. And I need him today. I need my life changed. I need to accept Christ. And I would love that opportunity right now. The Holy Spirit's already doing the work inside you. So there ain't no pleading or begging I need to do except trust the Holy Spirit. If you're here today, you need Christ. You need to pray a prayer of salvation. I would ask you right, right here, right now, to lift up your hand and write back down. We're going to pray with you. God bless you, sir. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Praise God for these hands. Anyone else? God bless you, young man. God bless you, young man. God bless you, ma'am. Christians are praying in the house. People are responding to the Spirit's call. Is there anyone else? I'll wait just a few more seconds. All right. Could I ask you, if you lifted your hand or if you're a part of our congregation and you're accepting the challenge to move into the authentic, and you're able to. I know that some are not able to due to physical reasons or you've got a child with you. But if you can, would you step out right now and meet me in this altar as quickly as you can? As many as will, please. Draw me close, close to you, Lord. I need the strength Hallelujah. that comes from you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I can barely Thank you, walk God. Thank you, Lord. today. I need your light to show my way. I am weak. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you are strong. I take your hand and carry on. Hallelujah. I need Thank you, Jesus. your love today. Yes, Lord, we need you. Draw me close to you. Thank you, Jesus. Draw me close to you, Lord. Draw me close to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Draw me close to you, Lord. Draw me close to you. Several of you lifted your hand. 
needing to accept Christ into your life. We're going to pray a prayer with you right now. Would you move in as close as you can? Perhaps somebody standing there beside you may have lifted their hand. I want you to reach up and just very politely just place your hand on someone's shoulder, not in a, any kind of a precocious way or, or to make them uncomfortable, just, if, just a very light touch. It's your brother and sister. Someone's praying for you right now. We're going to pray a prayer. The prayer won't save you, but the words from your heart will transform your whole life. It'll make you authentic. It'll make you real before God. And all of heaven will be listening. Jesus Christ himself will come into your heart and life and will start the process of discipling and transforming your heart. Right here, right now, today, you can be saved. We're gonna pray this prayer right now. If you mean it with all your heart, I want you to repeat it after me. Church, let's help them. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. I make you my Lord. Take control of my life, every part of me. Thank you for dying on the cross, for rising again from the dead, purchasing my salvation. I accept your forgiveness. I thank you for salvation. I believe in my heart that you died for me. I believe it in my soul that you have given me strength. You'll help me every day. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. And now, I want us as a congregation right now to pray. I want us to seek the face of God together for just a few moments. I want you with me to join together with me and ask the Lord to guide us over the next 21 days. There are, there's material out of the discipleship booth. Melissa Graw, our discipleship pastor, has information. If you want information on fasting, we have resource for you. It's ready to be given to you and passed out to you today. Just go by there in the lobby and they'll be more than happy to, to give you that information. We wanna help you on understanding the fast, how you choose to do that fast within the 21 days is between you and God. But I want all of us to take on the challenge of becoming what God wants us to be in these last days. To make this the best year we have ever had in 100, that God blesses us and takes us into the future, and that this time next year, we look back and we say, wow, can you believe what he has done? Look what the Lord has done. Let's pray right now. Father, as pastor of this church, I ask you, I ask you to touch each of us today as we receive the challenge to launch into the deep with you. I need the strength. We'll pray and we'll seek your word. We'll listen closely to what you speak to our hearts. We'll take time away from TV and from the social entertainments of the world. We'll, we'll take time, Lord, to di discipline ourselves so that we can be readily positioned during our fast, that you'll speak to our hearts and guide us, lead us, into places we've never been before. I pray for a wonderful place, God, of power for this church. Thank you for your work in us now. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We give you praise. And everybody said amen.
Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. As you go today, we want you to be blessed. We'll be back here at 6 o'clock tonight. Hope you have a wonderful afternoon. God bless you all. We will see you.